Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we're excited for today's program. We're going to be talking markets with Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Marchart, here in just a moment. And then we're going to dig into this weather. John Baranek of DTN Weather has dug himself out of the snow up in Minneapolis. He's going to give us an update on what to expect as this week rolls on. And then in segment three of today's program, we're going to check in with Greg Dowd, former chief U.S. ag negotiator at the USDA, now serving as the vice president of global situational awareness at Aimpoint. We're going to talk about what can happen here under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement as we look at some disagreements that are percolating with our neighbors both to the north and the south. Before we get into all of that, however, let's talk about these markets. And as I am wont to do, Darren Newsom, I want to start this week's conversation here with the cattle market. We saw some excitement last week in that space, didn't we? Oh, we certainly did. I mean, it's, it was just another week where, you know, not only did the futures market go higher, we saw strength in the cash. Uh, we saw strength, you know, un- unbelievable strength, right? At this point in, in the boxed beef markets, uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things, it defies gravity, it defies logic. Uh, because if we look at the spreads, we can see that, you know, at least the, you know, the commercial traders had been bearish. Uh, they did change their mind a bit on the cattle. They moved to a more of a neutral stance, uh, but it was across the board. I mean, feeder cattle are still bearish. Uh, lean hogs are still generally bearish, but, you know, so it was so overall in the barn, you know, the commercial side still looking at this thing going, you know, how's it continuing to go higher? Simple answer is it's where the money likes to go and they continue to push it up. They push it higher and higher. And now, Darren, we might be seeing some global trade flows in beef be distorted as Brazil had an atypical mm-hmm. case of BSE, as I understand. Yeah, that was the big news last week. And one of them I talked about on bar chart, uh, you know, <laughs> We, we saw that come out and it certainly helped explain some of what we've seen in the boxed beef uh, market this uh, this month during February. Uh, it's just been an incredible move. And so, you know, as I always say, it's the what, not the why. We'll find out the why later. We could see the what. We could see the money coming into the market, pushing cattle higher. Uh, and then we get that story late last week. So late in the month. And so all of a sudden it kind of sheds a light. So I've been tracking uh, the export sales as well, you know, according to USDA's latest weekly updates and so on. And we're still not seeing that huge eruption of of, uh, demand for U.S. beef, but maybe it's still coming. I mean, maybe this is still all in the works. And that's what, you know, that's what the non-commercial traders are betting on, uh, that we're going to see it down the road. Well, and Darren, of course, supply and demand, there's two sides to that. You've got the demand, which consumers have been out there writing checks. The question remains, how long will they be comfortable doing that? But on the supply side, I understand we're seeing carcass weights come down. The fundamental factors still look bullish from a supply side, don't they, in the cattle industry? Uh, I mean, if we if we really take it apart, nuts and bolts, the argument could probably be made. I mean, if we if we just I know there was a lot of chatter about the cattle and feed report first. Uh, we have to remember that was as of February 1. So it was, you know, January placements, January marketings, you know, the number of head we had four weeks ago. Um, and we knew, you know, by the spreads, that the number was still going to be large. It, it was, came in around 11.7 million head or something like that. Really no change from the last few months. Um, so it seems like I, I, it's hard to make a, a supply, you know, situation, you know, tight supply situation argument. Uh, we look at the we look at the frozen uh, we look at the frozen what I'm trying to say the frozen storage report that came out uh, the cold storage report that also came out on Friday. What was interesting here is that we did see during January that you know the beef supplies did drop and this didn't really fit with everything else that we've seen with marketing's going up uh, with the cash market with the box beef market in January actually you know, hitting hit pretty hard during January. So none of it really made sense. None of it really fits together. So that's part of the fun of always trying to look at these uh, USDA reports, at least in the rearview mirror. And, you know, when they don't fit together, again, it comes just down to, you know, the market is what it is. The trends are what they are. And right now, cattle are trending higher. 
They're trending higher. And as you mentioned, Darren, we're seeing that non-commercial money flow drive some of the, the movements in these markets. But we don't really know what those commercials and non-commercials are doing because we still don't have CFTC commitment of traders data. What do we know about when that data is going to be coming out? And do we care here in this market? I'm glad you asked it that way because we really shouldn't care because we do know what the money's doing. We can tell in the spreads what the commercial side's doing, and we can tell in the trend of futures what the flow of non-commercial money is doing. The only thing CFTC does is really confirm what we already know about the market. It applies some it applies some numbers, and there's so many different reports that you can look at. There's something for everybody, so you can pull whatever you want out of it. So it's not that big of a deal. It's not really that great of information. It's just mostly used for confirming or at least that's what it should be used for now last friday they did release a report they've been shut down for two or three weeks because of a of a cybersecurity problem uh, with clearing firms so they re released the report for the week of january 30th now as we go through march they're going to continue to try to catch up so that by the end of march we will be caught up to the latest you know quote unquote data um, we'll see if they can stick to that schedule because that's what they're talking about right now is that by the end of march we should be back to every, you know, the Friday reports cover the the previous Tuesday's positions. All right. We'll have that data coming back. But as Darren, as you mentioned, there's a lot of other ways to skin that cat when it comes to getting the information out of here in the futures markets. I did want to turn our focus while we've got you to the grains. Wheat looks like it's struggling mm -hmm. again today, a little more overhead pressure. What's driving that here in the wheat market? Yeah, you know, I've, I've had people ask me, particularly from Kansas, saying, you know, what is going on with this hard red winter market? And, and quite honestly, it does come back to the non-commercial money. They're just bailing out. Uh, they're, they're just putting pressure, I should say, on Kansas City because they were all already holding net short futures position uh, in both winter wheat markets. So, yeah, it just seems like they're really building on it. And, and I think we're just waiting to get to spring, waiting for this crop to come out of dormancy. You know, where there was reports across western Kansas of 80 to 90 mile per hour winds. Much of the area, again, missed out on the precipitation uh, over this past weekend. So, I mean, a bad situation just keeps getting worse. Uh, but yet, I mean, they're just pummeling the July, the new crop July contract. So maybe once we get to March 1st, once maybe we hit meteorological spring, the mindset starts to change because that's what's going to have to happen. Fundamentally, the market's still bullish. We still have inverted uh, you know, uh, uh, future spreads. But technically, you know, we're driving the market down. That tells us non-commercials are selling. All right, Darren, the, the resistance we're finding, or at least the, the slowdown we're seeing in both corn and soybeans, is this related to the wheat weakness? Yeah, I, I doubt it. Um, wheat usually doesn't lead corn and soybeans. You know, we have to remember that both markets, uh, cash and soybean, uh, cash corn, cash soybeans, new crop corn, new crop soybeans, they're all in long-term downtrends. And so what we saw at the end of last week was, you know, they've been chipping away at some support, some technical support. So again, leaning towards the non-commercial side, we've been chipping away at some non at some technical support and it finally gave way. It's like those old video games when you finally chew through the bricks and you get through and so on. And that's exactly what we saw. And so now we've got them, you know, kind of in free fall. Uh, now we have to wait to see if the commercial side is willing to step in, buy, you know, start looking for some bargains in here, start buying some corn, maybe some cash corn. Uh, you know, the world's largest soybean buyer, maybe start picking up since there's still rain in Brazil. So that's what we have to look for now to see where the commercial buying comes in to slow this non-commercial let sell off. All right, lots to watch in the markets going ahead. Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst with Bar Chart. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks again for having me on, Mike. And folks, stay tuned. More AOA coming up after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. 
We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to farm rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Today, certainly appreciate being included as a part of your day, and we are going to turn our focus to the weather. This past week saw a lot of action from a meteorological perspective, and this next week looks like it might be another active one as well. Joining us now for an update on the situation is John Baranek, DTN Ag Meteorologist. And John, thanks for joining us this week. I understand you caught a little bit of that weather this past week. Oh, I sure did. It could have been a lot worse. We were expecting kind of 18 to 24 inches of snow here for me, but I only ended up only with 13. So I feel pretty good about that. Well, thank the Lord for small favors, I suppose, John. But that blizzard that came across the northern Great Plains certainly caused some headline uh, grabbing snow amounts. What were some of the key totals that you saw? Yeah, I mean, we saw like a really thick band of 12 to 18 inches of snow uh, from the Rocky Mountains in Wyoming in Montana, all the way through South Dakota, Minnesota, and uh, Wisconsin. Um, there are some areas in there that saw kind of 20 to 22 inches of snow, just a couple of them. But I mean, there was a it was a wide area of 12 to 18. It was kind of impre pretty impressive to me. And then, of course, yeah, you mentioned it was blizzard. So we had uh, some strong winds there across eastern South Dakota and western Minnesota. Um, some of the DOTs that were uh, uh, posting on social media had these just gigantic drifts over the over the highways there due to the, all the drifting and, and the blowing snow. Absolutely. And the wind wasn't confined to the Northern Plains. John, I saw some headlines that on Sunday, a severe wind event swept through parts of the, the deep Southern Plains. What happened down there? Boy, you're not kidding. So we had a storm system move into California on Friday and brought a whole bunch of heavy precipitation there, moved across the Four Corners area, and then eventually into Texas here yesterday on Sunday. And uh, as it did, it, uh, produced some pretty good thunderstorms across uh, the Texas Panhandle into Oklahoma. We saw widespread severe weather with that. Um, lots of uh, 60 to 80 mile an hour winds, uh, a couple of tornadoes out of that. Um, but outside of those thunderstorms, the winds just whipped up incredibly there um, in that same area from across West Texas and into Oklahoma. We saw widespread wind gusts of 
uh, 60 to 70 miles an hour. And there were several of them that were over that. And so it created all sorts of dust storms out there. And, um, you know, anybody with agricultural land out there is probably really unhappy with how that uh, turned out yesterday. Yeah, some of the pictures circulating on social media as that dust was blowing around was something to behold, folks. Man, John, as we start this week, it looks like it's going to be active again. I understand we've got some rain falling across much of the country today. Yeah, so that system from yesterday in the Southern Plains has moved into the Midwest here, and we've got uh, all sorts of uh, showers, a few thunderstorms. We could be talking about a little bit of severe weather yet from Illinois into Ohio yet today, um, but it's rather warm, so it's mostly rain until you get up to kind of central Minnesota through northern Michigan, and uh, it's cold enough there to produce some freezing rain and some snow along with that. That storm system will continue eastward here today and tonight, and move into kind of the northeast for tomorrow. So they'll be getting in on some uh, some more wintry weather there as well. And so as that storm system passes by the central part of the U.S., John, what's on its heels? Any more action? Yeah, actually we do. We don't have a really a, a good break um, for many folks here throughout this week. We get another storm system that's already out in the west to move into the plains tomorrow. Um, this is kind of more of a uh, Nebraska into Dakota's storm system. Well, we'll see a few inches of snow out of that. We could be talking about right along the North Dakota, South Dakota border, border uh, getting six plus inches of snow um, for, uh, tomorrow into Wednesday. Um, that system kind of moves its way eastward. Uh, there'll be a front that just kind of hangs around the Ohio River, and that'll produce some showers there for Wednesday and Thursday. And then on Thursday, we get another big storm system to kind of develop there uh, down in Texas, and uh, that one, again, could be a big uh, severe weather producer uh, as it moves kind of northeast through the through uh, the Tennessee Valley, uh, the southern Ohio Valley, and then through the mid-Atlantic and northeast again. So another big storm system. This one, again, will have strong winds with it. Uh, they may not reach the ones, uh, same sort of wind gusts we saw on Sunday, um, but we'll have a larger band of snow forming on the northern end of it, too. So from basically Missouri up through the northeast we're going to get uh, another big heavy band of snow and may coincide with the stronger winds to produce some uh, blowing snow and some blizzard conditions for at least a time period there um, as we close out the end of the week john that storm as it heats up across texas and oklahoma any possibility it could bring some or a rainfall to those drought parched areas that's that's some of the good news uh, i believe we will get some there it may fall as snow too so um that would be that would be better than um having the, the wind just kind of whip around the, the, uh, the rainfall and everything. But um, yes, we will get probably a little bit of it. Uh, models have kind of backed off on trying to produce a whole bunch of precipitation there for those uh, really droughty areas from Western Kansas uh, down through Western Texas. Uh, but at least some precipitation is going to fall there. And of course, the, those folks, especially after what happened on Sunday, will take any precipitation over nothing. That is true. John, last week I had the chance to work with the Yuma Fresh Vegetable Association down there along the Colorado River. And of course, they're concerned about water availability over this next year. These systems that have come through Southern California dumping all of this rain, are they doing any good to build up that Colorado River aquifer? They are. So that has been um, a big uh, burst of good news out of this winter has been uh, the western drought has been reduced uh, quite significantly now there's you know they're working off of years of drought so um, even the incredibly above normal precipitation we've seen over the last few months um, is having a, a good impact but they're still a long ways behind so we, we still continue to see drought on the drought monitor due to that but the snowpack across California all the way through the southern Rockies is mostly above normal so that bodes good for snow melt down the Colorado River and, um, you know, this active pattern really continues for the next couple of months as well. So I think I think uh, things are looking up, especially compared to where we were the last couple of years uh, down there in the Colorado River Valley. Well, that's good news, John. In this active week ahead, are there any risks for Arctic cold? Are we going to see any big temp drops in the week ahead? Not this week. I mean, it is cool, uh, abnormally cold out there in the western states. Even the northern plains are kind of near below-ish normal, but all the Arctic air is still kind of up towards uh, northwestern Canada and, and uh, up towards the North Pole. Uh, we'll have to wait and see just how cold it gets next week because uh, we're going to get uh, a chance to get some of that Arctic air to move down into the plains here uh, later next week. 
All right, John, let's turn our focus down to South America. Argentina did get very cold this past week with their flash frost impact. Do we have a sense of how widespread that damage might have been yet in Argentina? Uh, yeah, some reports out of that said some minor damage. I didn't see anything that said anything that was, uh, you know, major production issues, but it's just another hit in the long line of of weather hazards that have gone on in Argentina. So, um, you know, they've been, you know, we've been talking about it for, seems like forever now. It's just been hot and dry, hot and dry, hot and dry. You know, they get the frost in there to just to kind of mess things up. But it continues to be hot and dry there this week as well. They do get a, a weak little boundary moving through on Wednesday with some isolated spotty showers, but nothing that's drought busting by any means. Um, so that, yeah, the, the country of Argentina just continues to get hit with poor weather. Going a little farther north of Argentina into Brazil, that soybean harvest is underway. John, is the weather cooperating with those growers in that country? It's not, but producers don't seem to care. They're trucking along pretty well. We got a uh, report on Friday out of the state of Mato Grosso, which is the largest production state there. And um, they have surpassed their their normal rate of soybean harvest, which is kind of incredible. And they're, they've almost caught back up to the normal pace for uh, their safrina corn planting. Now, with all the rain that's been going on, you know, I was envisioning them being, you know, one, two weeks behind normal, but they've almost caught up. They're only just a couple of days behind the normal pace now. So it's been kind of incredible to see. Now, the rains are going to keep coming. We're still in the heart of their wet season. Um, but, you know, with a, a large majority of that crop in the ground, they should uh, have some pretty good growing conditions over the next couple of months. We'll have to see on when that wet season ends because that's going to be the important thing. There's still a big chunk of the safrina corn crop that uh, has yet to be planted. They're about 30 percent uh, in that state. And uh, we'll have to see on some of the other states how they're doing uh, this week. But um, when that wet season ends, all they have left is subsoil moisture and if they can't get through pollination, at least, um, that could spell trouble for their safrina corn crop. We'll have to see. John, for a state like Mato Grosso, roughly when would that end of the rainy season come to a close? Usually it ends the first few days of May, but uh, during La Nina, and our forecast continues to show it as well, it's usually a few weeks early. So sometime around mid-April. The last couple of years, it's been mid or even early April when that, is ha when that has happened. So um you know that's going to be a big big concern uh going forward absolutely we're kind of on the bubble with it right now folks we'll keep an eye on this issue as it percolates and as those brazilian farmers work to get those beans onto the global market our thanks to john baranek of dtn weather for updating us on the forecast this week john thanks for joining us oh and always great to sit and talk with you mike thanks for having me on and folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to talk with Greg Dowd, former chief agricultural negotiator at the office of the U.S. Trade Representative, now with Aimpoint Research. He's going to fill us in on what's happening globally in ag. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, call foreclosure protection services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. Call foreclosure protection services now at 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. To take a look at the market trade early on Monday, kicking off the new week, fairly quiet action in corn and soybeans, mixed either side of unchanged. Soy products the same. Wheat markets, though, under some pressure, led again by Chicago and KC wheat to the downside. Kansas City, May wheat futures threatening to finish lower for the fifth consecutive trading day. And in those five days, it plunged nearly 75 cents a bushel. Now we see that uh, there is a good 
good outlook for beneficial moisture over the next seven to 10 days. It's actually a pretty impressive outlook for that KC wheat crop. Also, very aggressive Russian wheat selling along with that wetter outlook has pummeled these wheat markets here recently. CFTC data, we finally got that released on Friday, but we got some catching up to do as it was only through January 31st. And that commitment to traders data showed that um, funds were still net long in Chicago and Kansas City wheat. Now, as we take a look here, South American weather is, of course, going to remain a storyline. Crop stress expected to expand to nearly three-fourths of Argentina's grain belt over the next 15 days as yield projections continue to fall. A smaller cord crop could support higher U.S. cord exports over the last half of the marketing year, although we see no evidence of that quite yet. However, it does increase the pressure for Brazil to produce a large safrina corn crop and planting in Brazil for that safrina corn has definitely picked up pace as we've had a lot of uh, rain that has impacted soybean harvest and safrina planting, but it appears that uh, Brazilian farmers are getting caught up. Meantime, livestock trade relatively quiet to moderately lower now. Cattle on feed report out Friday afternoon showed cattle on feed down 4% from last year in February, which was in line with the pre-report expectations. We're down just slightly in live at feeder cattle. The hog market's been a little bit all over the place, now trading down around a dollar across the front month contracts. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, Someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We're continuing our look into issues that impact the ag industry today. And joining us next is Mr. Greg Dowd, former chief ag negotiator with the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, current vice president for global situational awareness, and he serves as the chief economist at Aimpoint Research. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, sir. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, sir. I am very well. Thanks for jumping on today. I wanted to pick your brain, Greg, because, of course, in your role as the U, as the ag trade negotiator at USTR, you were crucial in helping shape the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And now that we've got so many geopolitical issues percolating both with Mexico and with Canada, I figured it was time to get an update on how that will work as we discuss these into the future. So I really appreciate you joining us today. And I wanted to ask first and foremost, Greg, this Mexican corn GMO import import ban. Can you give us an update? Where do we sit here politically on that front? Well, I think that's the right question. Uh, to me, this is a political issue, not a, a trade, you know, sanitary and phytosanitary issue. So uh, the politics of this in Mexico are are that uh, Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, AMLO, as they call him, you know his political base is is kind of the uh, small farmer folks south of Mexico City, this, the southern part of the country, and uh, these are these are folks that grow a lot of this traditional uh, Mexican for, corn for human consumption for tortillas, and and they uh, they're what they're really grouchy about is is the U.S. white corn uh, that Mexico imports that they see as kind of directly competes against them. It's not. Uh, the yellow corn that the U.S., you know, the vast majority of what we produce that goes into livestock. And so he's kind of pandering to his political base because uh, there's an election next year in Mexico. He he can't run again, but he's trying to set it up for his uh, successor of his own political party. And 
you know, that's that's what happens in politics and, and uh, so much of the world in agriculture is uh, politicians pander their political base. And, and this is uh, one of those quintessential issues as far as I'm concerned. So if it is a pandering, Greg, is there the possibility or it's, is the possibility likely that Mexico will just let this thing fall to the wayside as we get close to January 1st, 2024? Well, that's the question. We don't know. And, and uh, I, I think that's a legitimate question. Uh, how, how does this play out as, as you get closer to the deadline? Um, d- does he, uh, you know, really restrict trade and you end up uh, having a real issue or does he just kind of, you know, continue to talk about it and, and stir it up and, and help let people know at home that he's thinking about them? I don't know that we know the answer to that question, which, which makes this issue really, really hard to, to deal with. The other question that I'm not sure how to answer, to be perfectly honest, is has there been any trade? Has there been any uh, U.S. Uh, white corn uh, going to Mexico that has been stopped as a result of this? Have, have folks made decisions to change uh, what they're importing in Mexico as a result of this? I don't know the answer to that question. And so th- the point being, until you have you know somebody that's actually lost some business, it's hard to it's hard to bring a case. You know, you can't. Uh, uh, because somebody's, uh, you know, sitting across the street thinking about robbing the bank. You can't quite arrest them yet. You know what I mean? That's so true. That's true. But we've still got to prepare our options, Greg, for right. if the Mexican government does hold to this. So looking at the USMCA, what are the options? How would the enforcement mechanism work if Mexico does decide to hold to this uh, this ruling? Well, I'm a little rusty on that, but the, the basics are that we've changed all of this uh, from uh, and, and really enhanced it from NAFTA days and, and WTO days. So you, you have a consultation process, and then you have a very short series of timelines by which you go back and forth to try to figure out how to resolve this. So I think you know part of the conversation now is the consultative phase. And and uh, you know really pressing the Mexicans on uh, you know what their intent here is. Uh, what what do they plan to do? And and uh, then the the challenge here is that that we probably have to help everybody understand is that the the lawyers at USTR, and this goes back decades if not more, are, are very very deliberative. And, and so it takes once the point being is we have a process that will work rather quickly once we you know enact it and and, and start clicking through the timelines. But it may take our lawyers at USTR quite some time to have all of their ducks in a row in, in the way they want it because they, they want to make sure that they're successful in this when and if that day comes. So um, I think the, what I would uh, just counsel everybody on now is, is to be patient, continue to ask questions. And I think, uh, quite frankly, uh, we have some very capable folks over there that uh, will we'll do just that and, and we'll just have to keep an eye on this. We'll be keeping an eye on it. And you make a good point. We've got to see if somebody has standing, if Mexico actually does make the effort to shut off these corn imports. And well, that remains to be seen. But Greg, while we've got you here, of course, in your role at Aimpoint Research, the Vice President of Global Situational Awareness, that's a big title with big responsibilities. I'm hoping you could fill us in on some of the situation around the world, thinking first here at China with their COVID reopening. Does it look like that economy is gaining strength? Do we know? Well, you know, the guys that I work with at Aimpoint, these are military guys. And, and so that's where that situational awareness, that's a very much a military term. And uh, these are West Point guys. And, and we do a lot of uh, 5, 10, 20 year out strategic planning, thinking, helping companies understand, you know, boards and CEOs understand the things that they need to be thinking about longer term to be successful rather than, you know, what's in your face. And that's hard to do sometimes. And, and so when you go around the world geopolitically right now, I think certainly we are continuing to monitor Russia and Ukraine. We're continuing to monitor China. Monitor China. And I think this discussion between uh, China and Russia uh, bears very, very close attention because, and, and we've been talking about this for some time. In fact, this was uh, one of the scenarios that uh, we put forward in our uh, industry war game where we gather everybody in. We do that in early November of every year was uh, what do you do in a situation where Brazil and China and Russia and China with uh, India, you know, somewhere in the mix of these guys are all talking to each other. 
uh, with regard to on the input side of the equation, fertilizer in particular. If they're all talking to each other in terms of uh, wheat trade and, and soybean and corn trade in the case of uh, Brazil and China, what does that mean for the U.S. longer term? And, and you know, how, what does that interaction do uh, to uh, folks in the rest of the world? Uh, this is something that we are watching very, very closely right now, and I think it bears very, very, very close to attention. But I would emphasize it isn't just on the grain trading side of the equation. It's also on the input side of the equation, the fertilizer and the energy side as well. That's a great point. As we think about those inputs, they're a little more geographically concentrated than a lot of these ag exports in that Belarus is only going to produce X number of fertilizer. That's where it comes from. Greg, looking out at the year ahead on that input risk, are there any areas you're watching closely that farmers should be prepared for price spikes ahead of planting on these inputs? Anything percolating right below the surface today? Well, I think uh, we've got some relief on natural gas, and that's by virtue of a, a much warmer winter in Europe than we thought we were going to have, and I think that's helped us. Oh, I'm really concerned still about the phosphate fertilizer side of the equation. You know, a third of the phosphate fertilizer export in the world comes from China, and uh, not very clear yet on what their intentions are or not. They may really hold back on, on all of that. So you may have some relief on the, on the potash side and on the nitrogen side, but still uh, some some real tension there on on the phosphate side of the equation. I, I think overall, uh, economically though, what we're seeing is is that things are not well. Uh, things are not well in China. Things are not well in Germany. Uh, Japan is uh, kind of struggling along. And as you go down through kind of the top ten economies in the world, the U.S. is doing pretty well. It's just a question of how long we can go before these other countries begin to pull us back down. That is the million-dollar question. Of course, we are all globally connected. Greg, if you're watching some uncertainty in a lot of our global trading partners, do you anticipate much of a much growth, I should say, in ag exports this year? Well, I think it's a really good question, and it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, it, it takes growth in these other economies around the world to make that happen, particularly in China, Japan, Mexico, even Canada. Those are our top four markets. Uh, it also depends on the strength and the value of the dollar. And, and you know, we had a very strong dollar uh, last summer that, that really uh, made it difficult for us on the export side. Things have come back down here a little bit. The, the question is, and currencies are an impossible thing to really predict, but the question is, is inflation stays sticky in the U.S.? Does the strength in the value of the dollar, do we kind of have a rebound in the value of the dollar? What do interest rates do here going forward? Uh, really complicated uh, answers to those questions and things we have to continue to keep an eye on. Yeah, we certainly do. And just to kind of explain that mechanism, Greg, the idea is if inflation stays high, the Fed will continue raising interest rates and that would support the value of the dollar. Is that your thinking? Well, when you have higher interest rates in the U.S. versus other countries in the world, that attracts people from around the world to invest in the United States, especially from an overnight standpoint. Uh, you know, we can move uh, billions of dollars around with a click of a mouse these days. And, and so if you can get a, a better rate of return in an overnight kind of uh, float kind of environment, the U.S. is going to attract that. And if you're going to make that investment, the first thing you have to do before you do that is buy dollars. And that drives up uh, the relative supply and demand and, and strength in the value of the dollar against other currencies. So that, that higher interest rate really is something that uh, it hurts us not only from a production ag standpoint but from also from an export standpoint it does makes those costs to buy u.s goods a little higher in those importing countries folks we've been talking today with greg dowd current vice president of global situational awareness and chief economist at aimpoint research greg thanks for joining us today my pleasure thank you and folks stick around we'll have a little more news in the world of agriculture when aoa returns Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. 
At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Back in 2018, the FDA put out a request for comment looking for the public's opinion on the use of names like milk, yogurt, and cheese for plant-based alternatives. Of course, think about those almond juices, milks, etc. The FDA was asked to look in on this by both parties, both dairy producers who are raising milk and these, uh, these plant-based producers who are uh, producing products they have consistently called milk in the dairy case. Well, the milk industry was frustrated. They asked the FDA to tamp down on the use of milk across beverages that aren't from a mammal. And FDA finally got around to answering this. In a guidance document issued last week, it's worth remembering guidance documents are not the same as laws. They are they are simple uh, uh, notes from the FDA to help shape policies and proposals, but they do move the needle. It's worth remembering that guidance documents are what was used from the USDA in order to get medically important uh, antibiotics out of the livestock chain. Those were never laws. Those were all guidance documents, but they work their way up and down. So the FDA issued a guidance document on what to call these various beverages that call themselves milk and they decided they can go ahead and call them milk. They recommended that some of the plant-based milk alternatives can go ahead and call themselves milk. That's what consumers are used to is the FDA's rationale. They're seeking these products out specifically because they're not dairy-based milk. However, they did come in with a little caveat that I've talked to some folks in the dairy industry. They are happy to see this, though we'll see if it uh, sticks around to the final rule. The FDA did say they'd like to see separate labeling if that milk beverage does not contain the same nutritional profile as dairy milk. And this has, of course, been a long an argument of dairy proponents, the amount of uh, vitamins and minerals and protein and the, the other stuff that comes in that fluid milk is a tremendous advantage that you don't get necessarily from the plant-based milk alternatives. And the FDA agreed. They said the only plant-based milk alternative that comes close to representing the uh, Excuse me. Uh, that comes close to representing the nutritional profile of milk is fortified soy milk. Everything else comes in less than dairy milk on a lot of these different issues. So now we've got some clarity here in this uh, sector. This is just a proposed rule or proposed guidance. As of right now, it is open to public comment. You have to submit your comments by April 24th, 2023. So if you've got an opinion on what can and should not be called milk in our economy, get on there. You can uh, get registered with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. It's called Draft Guidance for Industry, the Labeling of Plant-Based Milk Alternatives and Voluntary Nutrient Statements. Hop on their website and leave your comments. We just spoke with Greg Dowd in segment four about global trade around the world and how it's changing. Well, there's another change coming, and this is happening in Australia. Back in 2020, there was a number of disputes between Australia and China coming over a whole bunch of things. In 2020, they were accentuated over COVID, and China and Australia entered their own trade war. The U.S.-China trade war was wrapping up in 2020, which gave China the freedom to turn off Australia. And they turned to the U.S., of course, for a number of their agricultural and other products. It's been three years. China and Australia have not necessarily been at the diplomatic negotiating table, but that is starting to change. There have been a number of recent high-level discussions between Australian government officials and Chinese government officials. The Australian Forest Products Association has gotten involved with China. They are seeing some encouraging talks over some log imports, and they're looking more at agricultural products out of Australia. This certainly sets up the, the notion that the Chinese are looking to add diversity in their suppliers of agricultural products. Uh, we spoke with Greg Dowd there about the increase in China's purchases from Brazil, and I would expect over the coming years we'll see increasing purchases out of Australia as well, so China can reduce the risk of some of their geopolitical exposure. And that geopolitical exposure, folks, continues to hit everything, including, you guessed it, supply chains. We are still discussing ramifications on supply chains around the world. This time, however, as 2023 gets underway, it's not COVID that's slowing things down. Quite literally, it is the high cost of diesel fuel 
that is slowing things down. When I say slowing things down, what I mean is shippers around the world have been actively reducing the speed of their ocean-going container vessels. They're doing this because a slower ship, of course, burns a lot less uh, expensive bunker fuel, which is what these ships, and it's not expensive relative to diesel, but it's, rel it's expensive when you're filling up a, a full container ship with fuel. These ships have already, on average, slowed down by one nautical mile per hour since the summer of 2021. They goosed their speed a little bit last summer as we started to see resurgence in demand. But over the past year, the speeds of ocean-going container ships have just continued to drop precipitously. And we expect that to continue as these folks are struggling to find ways to make their input cost make sense. Here domestically, we've got some other issues percolating across rural America. This is relating to that train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, excuse me, East Palestine, Ohio. The cleanup is continuing there in that town. And as part of that cleanup, they're trying to pull some soil out of the area where the derailment happened, contaminated soil, and they're shipping this contaminated soil off to effectively uh, secured landfills for disposal. One of those landfills is in Michigan. Another is in Illinois, excuse me, in Texas. And both states are saying their officials tell them they did not get word that these uh, contaminated soils were coming into their states. So do expect to hear a lot more about ongoing cleanup with regard to that uh, oil spill disaster in East Palestine and also how it could play out amongst interstate relationships as these look to come to a close. Folks, before we let you go for the day, since we have been talking about dairy, it is worth noting that last week the USDA released the most recent milk production report here for the United States and milk production in the 24 major states in January totaled 18 and a half billion pounds. That's up one and a half percent from January of 2022. In spite of higher input costs, dairy producers are finding a way to crank out that volume. Folks, tune in to AOA tomorrow. We'll talk with Casey Seymour of Moving Iron about the the machinery industry. We'll also talk with our friends at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Until then, have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.